20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know my guest. He's the one and only Sam Monson. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam, of course, on the PFF NFL pod. Sam, welcome back to the show. How the heck have you been? Thanks. I've been good. Yeah, it was a, a decent Christmas, decent new year, and uh, now we're back into it. Yeah, very much so. An interesting week of football. Packers get a huge win against the Minnesota Vikings. Let's kick things off right there. I just kind of want to get your thousand foot view of that game. Obviously a a big win for the Packers. Vikings never really close. Jaron Hall decision maybe gets second guessed a little bit, but what were your takeaways from that game? Yeah, it definitely did get second guess. Um, and it's difficult sort of rewinding that to figure out what the right call actually was. You know, we've been talking all the way through the year in this podcast about Joe Barry's defense, what a, a, a poor performing unit it's been. Um, it had given five separate quarterbacks this year, I think, their best performance of the season. That's, uh, that's the, the sort of largest total we can think of in recent years of PFF. So if you're Kevin O'Connell and you're like, which quarterback should be starting this game? given they'd seen sort of one good drive from Jaron Hall before he got knocked out from the game the last time he was in, you know, I think that he could have reasonably been expected to think, hey, this is a pretty soft defense to give Jaron Hall a start against. What? Why not? You know, we just saw Nick Mullins try and throw it away seven times in a game. Before that, we had Josh Dobbs not being able to move the ball at all against the Raiders. Like, what? how much worse could Jaron Hall be? But I think, because of the way the game actually went and somehow Joe Barry dialed up like all of the good stuff in this game, it, it all came out. And given the way that game went, you know, a lot more blitzing, a lot more pressure. I think Hall was probably the least equipped of the three options they had to be able to deal with that. And, you know, Nick Mullins didn't play much better when he came in, but the, he was able to move the ball because, right. you know, as Chris summed up on the broadcast, like he he's crazy, but, but at least he can move the ball. And that's kind of what we saw. So, just an amazing performance from that Green Bay defense and from Joe Barry. And then on the other side of the ball, I mean, Jordan Love, the Packers offense, they had answers this time for that Brian Flores defense in a way they didn't earlier in the season and in a way most teams didn't earlier in the year, but actually in recent weeks has started to become a, a theme. It really has. And it's interesting because in recent weeks, I've been talking about every single offensive coordinator seemingly being two steps ahead of Joe Barry. And in this specific game, one, Joe Barry, like you said, pulled out all of his good stuff. And two, it was Green Bay's offense that looked like they were consistently two steps ahead of that Vikings defense, which again was sort of surprising based on how that matchup went earlier this season. I want to start with the defense, though, as you mentioned, and, and we kind of talked about already that they, they kind of brought out the good stuff. But what did you see? Because it felt different. It felt like they brought a couple more slot pressures from Keyshawn Nixon. Yeah. We saw Quay Walker get the sack. They used him a little bit more as a weapon and not just as a guy kind of dropping back. What were some of the things that you saw from this Packers defense that led to them holding, whether it's Jaron Hall or not, a Vikings defense down in this game? Yeah, I mean, they were a lot more aggressive. They did blitz a lot more. Um, and they put him, they put, uh, Jaron Hall, certainly to begin with, and Nick Mullins as well, they put them under pressure an absolute ton. Um, I forget which one, but one of the two quarterbacks was under pressure 60% of his dropbacks. The other one was over 40%. Those are huge numbers. Um, they were blitzing 40-something percent of the time as well. They just got a lot more aggressive and said, look, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down swinging. We're going to make you you know, do it the hard way and at least force you to make difficult decisions quickly 
in order to have success. And that makes sense against a rookie. Obviously, he's probably not able to make that kind of quick decision making all the time. And honestly, it probably makes sense against a guy like Nick Mullins as well, because, you know, he is crazy. So like you're probably going to force him into a couple of bad decisions, even if he's able to make them quickly. And it's funny because uh, a few weeks ago, I kind of talked about, you know, with Joe Barry and, and his defense struggling. I'm like, you've got to realize at this point, it's it's probably not trending in the right direction. You're, you're probably going to, the Green Bay is probably going to go in a different direction in the off season. Like go down swinging, like go right. take some chances. You've got plays in your playbook. I'm sure that you've been wanting to pull out all season long, playing this sort of passive uh, bend, but don't break defense isn't working for you. What, what else do you have to lose at this point? And it did feel like a little bit, he came out and whether it's just because it was Jaron Hall or whether it was to try something different, at least he did. And it was aggressive and it was fun. And, Felt like this defense really responded to it as well, which was a positive. I think it's going to be a big test to see if they can sort of do that again and actually do it back-to-back weeks against Chicago in a must-win game this week. Let's go to the offensive side of the ball. This offense seemingly lose Luke Musgrave, Christian Watson, uh, Jaden Reed goes down for half, Dontavian Wicks is out, Aaron Jones is out a good chunk of the season. It just feels like it's the lame, cliche, next-man-up mentality, but they've been finding ways to go with a Bo Melton, and all of a sudden things are still working. And they've just had that mentality, and they've brought in guys up, and it's just worked for them back-to-back 33-point weeks. Yeah, and, and Jordan Love is front and center of that. I mean, you know, they were talking all the way through the broadcast the difference in his ability to diagnose this defense was huge. Um, and I, I don't know how much of it is that. They clearly had answers as an offense. Like, no matter what Flores did in this game, the Packers were there for it. They had prep, they, they prepared for it, and it was, it was winning. Um, the Vikings back end, like the defense itself, actually has to shoulder some of the blame as well. There was one play there where, you know, I saw people comparing it from Jordan Love to Patrick Mahomes. And he takes the, the snap. It's, he's under pressure. He's dropping back. He's like inviting the pressure. You know, come on, come on, come on, buying himself more time. And then lobs a deep ball up to, to Bo Melton. And it was a great play. But he, there wasn't a Vikings defender within 10 yards of Bo Melton. Like the, the margin for error on that throw is insane because it's yeah. a complete and total coverage bust. So that's a part of it as well is that, for some reason, the Vikings defense was just blowing coverages all over the place. And they were down a couple of players in the secondary as well. That's going to have an effect. But between the Packers having answers, between the Vikings defense just making massive mistakes all over the place, and then Jordan Love hitting that zone again, which he's done a couple of times this season. um, I mean, he was virtually flawless in the game, did almost nothing wrong. You know, even – the, the deep miss on the third it was a third and one play to Bo Melton. I mean, Melton could have had that, you know, could have brought that in. It's a difficult catch, but one that is definitely within his ability to, to bring in. That would have been another huge play for Jordan Love. And I don't know if he's just going to be a quarterback that can hit a zone where he, you know, is, is virtually impossible to play, where he, he plays at that kind of Mahomes, you know, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow level, where they feel like everything they're going to do is right, but it doesn't always happen. But we've now seen probably two or three times this season where he's just hit that zone where he's he has an incredible game. And then, you know, the getting back there is the thing. Yeah, it, It's not too dissimilar to some of the stuff that we've seen out of Jordan from training camp, even going back a couple of years. There was like it was I think it was his second year where he had really done like nothing in camp or nothing in minicamp. Like he just did not look 
uh, great those first couple seasons. And then there was all of a sudden a day. And I remember it because he was doing the belt celebration and everyone was going crazy. And he just like was having a day. Everything he threw, deep, middle, intermediate, was just on fire. And there have been days like that, even as far like this training camp this past season where like you would just know, like, all right, Jordan's on one of those days today where he's just, you know, completely on fire. He's going to throw everything he wants and everything's going to get caught. He's been on a few of those. It seems like primetime games have gotten him up uh, a little bit. We saw Kansas City, Detroit on Thanksgiving, this game in a must win on New Year's Eve, Sunday night football. Still, owe, They still owe him a turkey leg, but they did give him uh, champagne uh, after this game to make it up to him a little bit, I think. But he has been awesome. I, did, I want to transition into a little bit more of Jordan Love here because per PFF, He's their second highest or your second highest uh, grade since week 11 with an 88.8 grade. I think that's per quarterbacks, obviously 16 touchdowns, one interception in that time frame um, had a 90.8 grade against the Vikings, which was his second highest of the season. Uh, what like, we, you just talked about, like, Hey, maybe this is just, he's going to get on a heater from time to time, but what else have you seen different from him? Because those first six, seven weeks of the season, up and down, fine, whatever. But kind of ever since that Rams game, maybe that Steelers game, we've de- it feels like we've seen a different Jordan Love. Yeah, I mean, certainly his accuracy has improved. Um, his just his general level of play has improved. Now it, it hasn't been you know that perfect curve and then or even a plateau. And we're at this level. It's been more like that stock market graph where it goes up and goes down, and it's like where is the overall direction of this line headed it's definitely headed up over the course of the year but it hasn't been this smooth curve the whole way there have been ups and downs even within that overall uh, trajectory trend but he's gotten more accurate he's making better decisions i think he's making more of those deep passes in particular and i think that's one area where you can see a bit of a visible change is they've unleashed him a little bit more and they've said look that the best thing this guy does is these big plays so Let's let him throw the ball deeper down the field. I think that's actually an area as well where accuracy makes less of a difference. You know, deep passing is as much about receivers as it is about quarterback accuracy. Whereas if you're firing the ball, you know, 10 yards in front of you and you're off by half a yard, that's a big deal. It's a difficult pass for a receiver to bring in and it makes it more likely that a defender is able to break on it. If you're off by a couple of yards deep down the field, if the receiver is good enough and he sees it early enough, he tracks it differently. So it looks accurate, even if it wasn't right. So I think there's a degree to which if you're going to have a quarterback that will never be necessarily pinpoint accurate on every single play, the deeper you let that guy pass on average, the less of a problem that is because your receivers can kind of fix the inaccuracy in a way they can't necessarily underneath. So I think letting him play to his strengths has been a big part of it. And then just generally, I think he's improved in, in most areas. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of looking at it. I haven't really ever thought of it that way. And I, to your point too, I think we have seen even even some of the intermediate throws or a couple of plays this week uh, where just like a, a deep out to uh, uh, Jaden Reed, it was, um, he came on that little like sort of speed route that Miami does and then runs the deep out and Jordan Love just threw it on a line. And we saw some of those, we saw some of the fadeaway throws, we saw some of the deep balls. It just, it just feels like he's so much more confident and comfortable within the entire frame of the offense. And I go back to earlier in the year, when he was struggling with some of those deep ball throws, it felt like he was overthinking a lot of them and trying to be perfect with them. And it does just have a different feel of just kind of like get back, hit your drop and rip it a little bit more. And I think he's had more success with that rather than trying to overthink it and be a little bit perfect. It's been a really impressive progression. I feel like through the course of the season, I know everyone in green Bay, myself included is now very much on the, he's the guy, the franchise quarterback. He's going to get a big contract in the off season. 
Um, obviously, you have more of a, a national viewpoint of it. Do you see it the same way? Is this a, a no brainer at this point? Yeah, I mean, it, it, all these discussions always come down to what the alternative is, right? So if you decided, if you looked at Jordan Love's tape and for some reason you decided, no, I don't, I don't think this guy's got it. I don't like him. We need to go in a different direction. Well, okay, but where? Like, what are we doing? You know, it's, it's one thing if, like, Chicago has a very different conversation, right? Because they're going to have the number one overall pick. Guaranteed, it's locked in. They've already got it. They are going to have to make a decision about whether they want Justin Fields or the best available prospect in a good quarterback draft. It's not the same conversation for Green Bay. You know, even if they wanted that decision, it's not available to them. They don't have it. So you've got Jordan Love. And even if you didn't like the guy, you now have to weigh up what your options are relative to any possible alternative, which is going to be costly. You know, it's either draft the guy way lower down, who you're going to have much less confidence in, or it's, Jordan Love at a big contract versus, you know, Kirk Cousins at a big contract. Like it's not either way you're going to be dealing with an expensive quarterback or a huge investment for somebody or a much less certain thing. So, yeah, I, I think given the, the, the improvement we've seen from him over the year, given the fact that that is still like an incredibly young offense across the board – and, you know, you listed off the players that were missing against the Minnesota Vikings. Like, he's not even had all of it for, for this yeah. period of time. He's been working with backups to the young players. Um, I, I think he's shown more than enough to say, let's, let's roll the dice. Let's say he's the guy. Let's invest in him. Let's build around him. And let's see what we can do. Yeah, we're definitely in lockstep there. I wanted to ask you about a couple of the other Week 17 grades from PFF this week. Uh, two of the young wide receivers, Jaden Reed, 92.7 grade, did go out at halftime, but uh, was pretty epic up until that point. And then the one and only Bo Melton signed off the Seahawks practice squad last season, an 89.5 grade, two back-to-back -back impressive performances for Bo Melton. Your thoughts on those two offensive weapons? Yeah, I mean, Jaden Reed, obviously, we, we've seen what he can do. We saw what he was doing in that game. It, it's been the same pretty much all the way through the year. He looks like a really exciting player for them and, and, a, and a guy that, you know, fits a role in that offense that most of the other receivers don't. Um, Bo Melton, I loved coming out of the draft. I think he was one of my sleepers that year. I certainly talked about him that season and then just didn't have – nobody else seemed to, seemed to think the same thing. Like, he didn't have any kind of draft stock. Uh, didn't do anything, you know, when he came into the league, has been struggling to, to catch on anywhere and just yeah. make a roster and then actually, you know, gets an opportunity and in a couple of back-to-back -back games looks really impressive. I think he's got a kind of dynamic skill set to be part of a receiving core. And it kind of shows you to a degree just how dependent some of these players are on just having an opportunity, right? Like there's there's only so much you can do in practice reps or or to convince somebody that you need a shot the best thing for you is if like five guys ahead of you on the depth chart aren't available and you just get thrown the ball a few times. It really is. And it, it's, it's always obviously having that first step, which is availability. And I think one of the things that helped Melton, unlike a Samori Toure, uh, Melton will actually play on special teams a little bit. And then you get activated based on that. And then all of a sudden a couple of guys get hurt. And before you know it, you're playing in Jaden Reed's role and you're showing out and showing what you can do. Uh, I was actually surprised and maybe Green Bay just would have said, hey, we're going to sign you anyway. I was surprised nobody signed, tried to sign him off of Green Bay's practice squad last week when he wasn't put on their 53-man roster. Uh, but they made sure that was not going to happen after this game. He's officially on the 53-man roster now. I want to stick to offense and but go to the opposite side of the spectrum. Josh Myers, 37.4 uh, grade this week from PFF. 
the first half I thought was one of the worst halves of football um, I've seen from Myers or from a lot of players consistently bull rushed into the backfield, struggled in run, you know, run blocking. I thought he was a little bit better in the second half, but um, this was definitely a tough one for Josh. Hey friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found GameTime. GameTime is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there, I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet, do you want to play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, it was. And it was a couple of them were tough assignments, but he basically lost in every way you can lose when it comes to pass protection. Um, and for a center in particular, he gave up six pressures in the, in the game. And that's a huge number for a center. Like most of center pass blocking snaps are help, right? You're, you're part of the, the blocking scheme. You're taking, you're helping a guard. You're double teaming with somebody. Now a team like Minnesota, given how much they blitz, change that dynamic a bit and they force you to be one-on-one a lot more. And that's part of where his problem came from. But yeah, he had a couple of plays where Tonga, I think just drove him into the backfield, like five, six yards deep, put him right in Jordan Love's face um, there was a play where he screwed up a, a kind of a stunt to twist with the linebacker and actually missed the guy completely. Yeah. Like the, the left guard ends up getting a piece of the linebacker and Josh Myers is like face first looking down. And then it's like, what, hang on. I was supposed to hit a linebacker. Where did he go? And he's behind you, like bearing down on yeah. the quarterback at this point. And then of course you had the tough assignment of 
like the Vikings are going to put Danell Hunter over your face a few times, you know, in the game. And Danell Hunter versus Myers is just a mismatch. Like it, it's a bad matchup for him and he lost most of them. So yeah, really rough day at the office for him, particularly in pass protection. Yeah, I thought so too. I, I thought there was a couple of times, it's, it's tough to tell this from the tape, obviously, but um, it felt like for the most part of the day, they did a pretty good job of picking up Minnesota's blitzes, which usually there's a lot of communication from the center on that. Um, so I'm sure there was probably something that he did well there, but in the actual physical portion, the part that we can watch on tape, um, like you said, tough day at the office for him. I want to hit you up with a question that I sort of posed on yesterday's podcast uh, that I put out there. And that's how do you gauge this Packers season? They're eight and eight They're They were eight and nine a season ago with Aaron Rodgers. They trade away the face of the franchise. They go with a first time starter. They become the youngest team in football, clearly the youngest offense in football by quite a bit. And they have a ton of injuries throughout the year. Again, eight and eight right now with one game to go. The opportunity still to get in the playoffs, win and you're in. Um, is this, has this been, and then obviously on the flip side, a defensive performance all year that's been pretty atrocious out, outside of a few outliers here or there. How do you evaluate this Packers season on the whole? Has it been a success already because of Jordan Love and the offense? Or how do you sort of evaluate that on the whole so far? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you would have had to have looked at the season from Green Bay's point of view as like it's we don't really have a goal other than trying to figure out if we have anything here. You know, yeah. we, we've deliberately kind of gone away from any kind of investment. We got rid of Rogers, everything. We, we've, we haven't gone all in on Jordan Love. We're sort of testing the water here with this contract. And it's not like we even set him up particularly well to succeed in terms of you know, for years we were saying Devontae Adams wasn't enough for Aaron Rodgers. You know, we needed to find a second guy for him. I mean, Jordan Love hasn't had anything like that. He's just had a collection of other young guys. And it's like, well, go ahead, show what you can do. And the fact that this team is now, you know, potentially going to the playoffs, that this group of young playmakers on offense are almost all getting better. I mean, there's nobody there, I don't think, that you would say has definitely taken a huge step backwards this season. Almost all of them have taken steps forward. Even Christian Watson, who you know didn't necessarily back up what he did a year ago, flashed a couple of times late and then got hurt, so we haven't seen it again. But you wouldn't sort of write him off and say that's that's gone south either. Right. So I think all of the all of that offensive side, that investment in youth, seems to be paying off, and this has to be seen as like this is the this is the worst they'll ever be right right now. They're only going to get better from this point they're already sort of showing that each one of them belongs at this level and theoretically are only going to develop and improve. So I think it has to be seen as an encouraging sign. The only um, kind of caution um, or tap the brakes type of thing would be, you know, if they make the playoffs, if they maybe win a game, there's always that danger that you sort of overestimate how good you actually were, right? Like the giants a year ago and you say, Oh, actually we're a championship team. Let's go crazy. Let's go bring in, some veteran with like a year left because that's the player we're missing to take us like pretend that this is just the first step on the roadway. And if you happen to be better than you thought they were, then great. But like, don't completely junk the game plan just because you've had more success. Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling because we are a million percent in lockstep on the same thing. It still feels like 2025 is the year to sort of shoot for. Um, 2023 was this pleasant surprise. 2024, you still need to kind of purge off some of those bad contracts that you have. Still continue to get a little bit younger. You're going to have five picks in the top 90 in all likelihood that you can continue to replenish this roster with. 
that should be the way to go. If you want to like, for me, if they wanted to get like one free agent, that's still going to help you in 2025, 2026. Awesome. That's fine. I think you can still navigate that. But uh, the cautionary tale for me would be like, if you're like, hey, we're going to do another thing where you sign the Zedarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, Billy Turner, and go like all, all in all of a sudden in 2024, that I would be like, okay, that you went too, too hard, too fast. And now you don't have anywhere to go from here. Um, but it's going to be an interesting off season for this team one way or the other. And again, million percent with you. I think they still need to take it cautiously and start looking still two, three years ahead for when that window is actually hopefully open. Clearly, though, when we start talking about success or not success, part of that equation is what they do against the Bears this weekend. A win in your in opportunity to get to the playoffs, an opportunity to learn from the lessons that they really failed at a season ago when they had the same opportunity against the Detroit Lions and could not get in. What are you kind of looking for in this matchup and how can Green Bay take uh, advantage of this opportunity and make it to the postseason? I mean, a big thing is going to be what does the defense look like this week? I mean, that was such a departure from what we've been, been accustomed to seeing from this Green Bay defense that uh, we need to see if they can do it again a second week in a row. It's obviously a much more difficult task as well because Justin Fields is a unique quarterback, you know, and, and it's a very, okay, he might not be, you know, Minnesota has unique weapons themselves, right? Justin Jefferson, et cetera, but you need somebody to get Jefferson the ball. Justin Fields is going to be touching the ball pretty much every single snap. So, you know, he's going to be a factor. You don't need anything else to happen for that to be a reality you're dealing with. They need to come prepared to stop Justin Fields, who is playing a lot better in recent weeks and not just as a runner, you know, not just as an athlete. I mean, that touchdown pass he had to DJ Moore um, with, with Jesse Bates in the red zone uh, last week, that was a big boy NFL throw that was – was difficult in a number of different ways, and it didn't look good because Fields just absolutely nailed the throw. It was like it was not a throw that you could put a ton of arc or, or air underneath. You had to sort of fire it in there fairly tight. Uh, Jesse Bates was in pretty close attendance, was going to undercut it if it was off target. It was from the far hash, so it was a, it was a further throw than it looks as well. Um, and Calais Campbell is driving the left tackle back into his face as he's trying to let go of that ball. And none of that phased him. He put it exactly where he needed to go, put it in as a touchdown, great throw. And he's been making more of those passes in recent weeks. So Fields is a legitimate threat to any defense. And, you know, Green Bay's defense this season has allowed some pretty rough quarterbacks to have good days. So I think that's the first step. And then the second is going to be, you know, can Jordan Love repeat his trick as well? Like Chicago's defense has, has been much better as well. They were atrocious the first part of the season and they've been dramatically improved uh, in recent weeks. You know, um, Jalen Johnson has been playing fantastically all year. One cornerback spot, Tyreek Stevenson, the rookie has been really good the last few weeks. Um, they've gotten much more kind of contributing uh, performances from all over that defense. So I think both sides of the ball are way better than they were earlier in the season for Chicago. So it's a real test for, for green Bay who need to, you know, bring the magic that they were able to, bring to the table against Minnesota and do it again. Yeah. It, it's a totally different game than week one, two totally different teams. And to your point, <clears throat> both on offense and on defense, you're never quite sure which green Bay Packer team is going to show up week in and week out. If you get the performance like they did against Minnesota, De Detroit in the second game, uh, Kansas city, some of those, you feel pretty good about your chances. You get the defense that showed up against Carolina or Tampa Bay, even the Giants and an offense that you know didn't show up earlier this season. And you could have a recipe for disaster in any given moment as well. I am one of the big matchups I'm intrigued by. Jair Alexander suspended last week. Um, the defensive backfield played 
played pretty well in his absence. Jair's not had his usual Pro Bowl slash all pro caliber season, even when he has been in. Um, now they have to sort of reintegrate him back with this defense. There's obviously all the drama from last week. At the same time, you've got DJ Moore, who's playing out of his freaking mind. And in an ideal world, you'd love a all-pro caliber Jair Alexander to go against him one-on-one. But Green Bay's going to have a lot of decisions on how they kind of, again, reintegrate him and how they put their matchups out there. Um, but hopefully we get some good DJ Moore versus some good Jair Alexander, because that would certainly make for some good good viewing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jair Alexander is incredibly physically talented and able to be you know, an all-pro caliber corner. That that whole coin toss thing, what it raised for me as a question, though, was like, where is he mentally? Because his explanation for that, I mean, it was just outright stupid aside from anything else. So whatever the reasons for it, like just hearing him articulate the whole thing, you're like, that was that was a very dumb sequence of things I just heard come out of somebody's mouth. And, you know, this is not a game necessarily where you can be an idiot. <laughs> like you need to yeah. you need to be aware of what's happening. You need to have you need to be able to process. You need to be able to think through things quickly. And, you know, how much of his uh, failings this year have been mental, not physical. We know he's physically capable of playing at that kind of level. But when things change or when the defense is adjusting, like where is he on this stuff? If the guy needs to be walked through a coin toss, um, is he on the same page as everybody all the time? So I, I do wonder how much of that for Jair Alexander is what's going on. But if he's dialed in, if he knows what he's doing, if he's not thinking, um, I mean, him versus DJ Moore is is fireworks if they they both play up to their potential. Not trying to articulate that wins are a a cornerback stat by any means, but it's been interesting that this group of Keyshawn Nixon, uh, Corey Valentine and Carrington Valentine, they're four and two on the season and the three game win streak in the middle against the Chargers, the Chiefs and the Lions. And then this win against the Vikings all had those three as the primary corners. Um, it's, again, it's not to say that it necessarily means a ton, but they've had some success when those three more no name, you know, kind of corners have been in there. It hasn't been the the Jair and the Stokes, even Razul earlier this season when he was playing awesome and is clearly still playing phenomenal football defensive player the the week this week for for Buffalo. Um you know, it, it just you didn't see the sign, some of the same results. So I'm going to be very interested to see how they reintegrate Jair. Before I get you out of here, Sam, though, I got to ask you, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier this year, and you mentioned earlier the Bears have locked in that number one pick. Justin Fields is playing better football. Where are you right now on this Chicago Bears-Justin Fields decision that is going to be a massively interesting one as this offseason starts? Yeah, I still think I would – trade him away and, and pick a quarterback and just reset the clock. Um, yeah. But I think the more he goes playing like this, the harder a decision it is and the more they're going to be open to listening to offers. You know, I think that's the big thing. Like my, at the moment, my default position would be I'm probably trading him away and picking a quarterback, but you're going to be picking up the phone and listening to whatever offers come in. There are going to be teams that are, are needing a quarterback and are not in a position to draft one without trading up to number one or number two. And if a deal comes along and absolutely blows you out of the water, you know, for the second year in a row, Fields has shown just about enough to talk yourself into doing it all over again. Now it gets more difficult because the contract is coming down the pipeline. You're going to have to figure out not just is he capable of playing at this level, but is he capable of playing at this level at 40, $45 million a year? And that's a very different conversation, but you know, he is making that decision harder and harder for them as the season goes on. 
Yeah, I, I'm so intrigued. Uh, on the, I'm with you. My, my gut instinct is, you know, trade away field, see what you can get in return and start that quarterback contract clock over. We all know it's a cheat code. If you can get a young quarterback playing at a high level and you don't have to pay him a ton yet, um, it's one of the best ways to go about it. But uh, if all of a sudden, you know, you feel really confident in Justin Fields, you don't want to go in a different direction and some team is offering just some ridiculous offer for number one overall pick. I think you have to at least listen to that too and then kind of just weigh out the options, but certainly something that will shape the Chicago bears in a very major way and has the potential to shake up the NFC North in a significant way as well. Sam, amazing, amazing stuff as always, always great chatting with you every single week. Tell everyone, uh, how, first of all, how they can vote for your podcast. The voting is still open on the, uh, uh awards, uh, circuit there. And then, uh, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, it's, uh, it's my pin tweet at PFF underscore Sam. We are a finalist for the Sports Podcast Awards. Uh, the interface isn't great on your phone, so it's kind of a desktop thing, but it's very easy on the desktop. Um, the, the PFF NFL podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube is where we are. Make sure to go give it a listen. Uh, Sam and Steve do tremendous work every single week. You can find, of course, the Packaday Podcast at Packaday Podcast. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always... Go Pack Go!